Russell, how do we unfuck marketing? Well, I think the main issue that I see brands having is the disconnect that they have between understanding what they spend in time and effort and media cost and Mm -hmm. what they get as a direct or indirect relationship to that outgoing effort or spend. So the way that brands can unfuck their marketing is having a clearer idea of the actions that align to a sort of data-led strategic approach. Because it's very easy to say, oh, we're a data-led business. And so many brands say this when they've got an Excel report, basically. But why? Like, why does it? Okay, so I know they all say we're data-driven, we're data-driven, we're data-driven. But ultimately, why is it even important to be data-driven? Like, why do we need to tie those actions together? Is there an actual benefit to that over an Excel? That's more than an Excel sheet? Yeah, there, there definitely is. And I think that the main reason and what we see quite often is that a senior person in an organization will have an opinion that is potentially correct. And we don't know what we don't know very often. So through experiences that people will have, they'll have got to an opinion of the best way of doing something. Now, what we want to do is have an evidence-based success metric. Because Mm -hmm. the first thing is, does it work? Well, that is a very, very multi-layered answer to a very (laughs) basic question. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this for me, goes all the way back to one of my first jobs where I was very fortunate to work for the CEO and the head of e-commerce were the two main people I was working with. Mm-hmm. And over the sort of four or five years that I was at that company, the question went from how did we perform last week or how, how did we perform yesterday to a much more granular style question about what can we do to make performance better. And everything that happened was evidence-led. Now, it was led from the organization that the hypotheses were always Mm -hmm. opinion-based. So it was, I've looked at this and I think this might be better. That's great. And I think there are many companies out there who set themselves up for success by going, I think this is better, so we'll test it. And this isn't just... The, a lot of the CRO stuff I know you do from a yeah. conversion optimization, but just testing things in the organization across the board. But one of the fundamental things that I think organizations can do better is by putting a framework in place that allows for this sort of evidence-based logic to be everywhere. Whether it's used to its full potential or not, that's kind of up to the ways of working. But the but first wait challenge... Wait a second. Yep. Wait a second. You made it like... So yes, I understand the point that you need the evidence-based uh, you know, decision-making, let's say. But you made an important point when you said that you started with one question, which was the basic question of how did we do last week to how can we do better? Are you essentially saying that all of these actions are actually driven by the question or do they work together? They, they definitely work together. But to get to the, the question that actually drives change is mm-hmm. probably is the classic sort of five whys. So you start with like the first round of questions gets you down to a point of, oh, why do we think this is happening? Well, why did that happen? Oh, why mm-hmm. is that the thing that is the most important? And 
once you get three or four whys deep into that sort of line of questioning, then you get to something where that person can leave that meeting or leave that email chain and go and make a change that will impact something. And it's it's very difficult when you're right at that first set of questions of what was performance like last week or was last week successful? The answer to that question will never drive action because the mm-hmm. answer that actually answers that question is, yes, we were, and it's because of this marketing activity, or yes, we were, and it's because this was terrible. But from a unpicking of that or an unfucking of that, mm-hmm. it's the ability for us to say, what is the reason why that thing was the most influential that week? And then go a couple of levels deeper to find out the specific things that are changeable. And like, I, I constantly talk with the brands we work with about levers of change. Like, how mm-hmm. powerful is that lever? And where are they that we can actually make a difference? Because sometimes you can't make those changes, whether that be budget limited, headcount limited. The The main thing that happens actually is it's in the framework of the business and mm-hmm. it becomes political. So mm. is it that you can't actually make the change because Jeffrey doesn't do yeah. things that way and therefore you can't do it. So it's not necessarily, yeah. oh, we can reorganize budget or we can change that campaign. It's that got signed off by legal three weeks ago. That's not changing. Okay. But how but do think, we overcome that? We can't overcome that, no. right? No. And I think data in this sense becomes, yeah. when it, when you're talking about sort of having a data strategy and we, we're very much in a, sort of a box here because we're talking about marketing data. I'm not talking about sort of P&L financial data necessarily. Exactly. But from a marketing data perspective and, and therefore marketing performance, we are in this sort of box that we have to sit in and we can't change a lot of the things that are in place that are organizational or political in that, in that company. And a lot of the things that we bring in as a business and, and as a technology that allows us to start changing the mindset. And that's the biggest thing that the that we have to overcome is if we're taking someone from asking what is a simple question to getting to the point where they change them, their methodology of mm-hmm. understanding, mm-hmm. that is the point where you've actually made a shift in the way that that business runs. And that's the harder thing. That's the years play. The months so then- play, oh God, if you have, let's say you've changed, let's say you've gotten them to the point where you've changed their mindset about what question to ask, which is a major change. Yeah. What else do you need to be able to make it work since we are stuck in that box? You know, okay, so politics, obviously we can't do anything to change, but how can someone set themselves up to be in a box that works? So sort of want to double down a bit on that mindset change. If we get to that point, and we've got some clients that have done that, and I've got a client that probably will listen to this and know who, who I'm talking about. But he's left one company who yeah. we've got that business to change, gone somewhere else, working with us again at this new brand, and has put this in at the ground floor. So the logic that he had previously is now the way that they're going to do things from a marketing perspective moving forward. So a lot of that is we don't have dashboards that answer those types of questions. It has to be this type of view that allows us to start at three or four levels deep. We're Mm -hmm. not just looking at overall blended cost per acquisition, for example. 
That yes. metric is in a report at the bottom of the table. But the thing we're more worried about is new customers versus returning customers. How much are we spending for those types of people differently? And that's the first point of call from a questions perspective. Yeah. So that's the first challenge. And once you've got to that point, it's then what are the key things that that person is is caring about right now? Because the first challenge is we're talking now in July. Mm -hmm. What are the challenges that are coming up in the next six weeks where we have those levers to change? Because it's pointless us talking about Black Friday right now unless things can change in preparation for Black Friday. Or are we locked in to the next three months of media buys? And therefore, actually, what we want to do is spend the next couple of weeks looking at performance to then inform what September, October's performance should be. And all of this is completely dependent on the brand, the ways of working currently internally. And I've got a client that's got a sale going live or a discount promotion or whatever they want to call it. Uh, going live in a couple of weeks' time. And yeah. right now, the it's the agency that's pulling the data to, to, to inform changes to creative and to the setup of those campaigns because we've only just got the sign-off from legal to go through that process. So the agency is using the data that we help provide for the brand mm-hmm. now in two, weeks of, in two weeks in advance of the campaign. So it is completely dependent on the ways of working. But I think the major mindset shift still takes such a long time. But then, so like with the mind, you know, it's a hard thing with anyone to try to convince them to do something so far in advance. And and a mindset shift is huge to ask of anybody, especially for people who are stuck in their positions for a while. So then how do you convince them that this kind of drives value? How can you show them that this shift you know, concerning data will drive value? Very difficult to even get. <laughs> so so like we, we've, we find it very easy to sell to people who already know that the current status quo is not what they want. And that's the one where we, we go in to speak to someone and I can tell straight away from the questions that they're asking of us that they're not happy with the status quo. So they're not happy that they have blended CPAs. They're not happy with a last touch attribution profile. They're not happy that in their weekly meeting, they're constantly looking backwards and never looking forwards. And mm-hmm. if that's the sta- status quo that has been limited to them by their technology stack, by their internal processes, they're conscious that they want to make a change. And whether it's that they've seen someone like me speaking at a conference and showing them what they could have won, classic game show style approach of things, or they've just been doing their own reading, or they've come to those conclusions themselves. Because this is the conclusion I came when I was in-house. I hadn't gone to a conference before, but I realized that looking at the last interaction with a customer wasn't necessarily indicative of what happened before that and how we were approaching customers. And this was before attribution became a thing. Mm-hmm. And we started doing this in Excel spreadsheets way back when, and I'm talking like 15, 17 years ago now. Yeah. That complexity was not as complex as we can do stuff with machine learning now, but the question was still valid. And so for those people now, 
the easiest way to talk to them is when they already know that they've got a problem and they know that they're, what the way that they're doing things isn't necessarily correct. And I think the main hurdle that we have is that the likes of Google Analytics, which is in a box, it's a fantastic product. And I am still a fan of Google Analytics. Mm-hmm. However, it has blinkered the what the questions that analysts and marketers think they should be asking because if it's not available very easily or it can't be done in that product Mm -hmm. there is an assumption that a lot of marketers have that it can't be done and that's probably the first thing that we try to get out from people is go oh you can totally do that you just can't do it in google analytics and Adobe's been going down a very different route, but they've done a lot of this in the Adobe suite. Oh, you can totally do that, and you do that in Adobe. But the problem is, is that the cost to entry in Adobe is way higher. And so a lot of people either have experience of one or t'other. There are not many marketers and analysts as a percentage crossover, if you did that Venn diagram, that sit in the middle with experience of both. So a lot of people are, I'm in the Google camp because of the the amount of so- websites that it's on. That's where the majority of their experiences are. And with the announcements that sort of GA3 is sunsetting um, and GA4 is be- becoming more prevalent, yeah. people have started to go, okay, well, I don't really understand the data model for GA4, which is a challenge, but it, you can get there. That's not really the long-term problem here. The long-term problem is actually working out whether it's the best solution for what you want out of it and going, well, actually, what should I be asking? What questions could I be asking? So let's talk about that for a second, though, because people are doing that transition right now. And I also see this with a lot of clients. You know, why are we switching? What does it make any sense? What are our other options? So what should people be asking? Because this is a really great time for people to consider other options. So how can they approach that from a more holistic point of view when it's not Google to Google, but we have all these other options out there. How can I figure out what works for me? So the first question is, what do you actually want from marketing data in your organization? What questions do you want to be answering today? And you need to be able to answer those questions. And without being too detrimentally, to, I don't want to talk detrimental against any other <laughs> technology here, but Google can do, Google Analytics 4 can do 90% of what Google Analytics 3 can do, not necessarily as easily or as out of the boxy that GA3 did, but because yeah. you got used to a data schema that GA3 it happens, and GA4 has a very data, different data schema, mm-hmm. questionably better data schema. The event logic is there but it's not designed for marketers out the box. You can service marketers and analysts out the box with the GA4 schema, but it's not as pick up and play as GA3 was to answer those core questions. But the majority of marketers, especially in the medium to enterprise range, can totally move over to GA4 and get the copy of what their outputs were previously in some way. It might mean you have to do some custom reporting. It might mean you have to save some favorites. But you can basically replicate what you've got there. 
Mm-hmm. I think the biggest opportunity for people in this space is to go, well, actually, not just think, well, how do I replicate what I previously had? Go, well, what should I be doing here? And what could I be asking of that that will make my influence on that company better? Because that's ultimately from a career pro- progression perspective, that's what everyone should be doing is not just ticking the boxes of making sure what was there can be done, is what should I be asking? And can I get those those the answers to those questions in advance of the time as well? So I was always, when I was in-house way back when, I was constantly going, what's the question I'm going to be asked at the next board meeting? Not just the one that's coming up, but the one after that. What's the what's the thing that I'm going to get a phone call at like 8 p.m. from the CEO going, how can we get this? And back then, it was making sure that we had the things tagged up in advance of the question of, can we monitor this? Because if you didn't have them tagged up, it only started when you started getting that data, exactly. which is still the case for the majority of things anyway, but it's <laughs> thinking ahead in that way. And now the thinking ahead is, what are the types of questions that the organization will want to answer and help us better understand performance? So one of the things that, for example, Google doesn't do well or at all is pulling data from other advertiser networks including their own, but just Facebook performance data, Microsoft, TikTok, getting that in with the correct granularity to understand performance, it doesn't do, has never done well. You can upload external costs, but that's painful. Um, You can do a bunch of stuff via the API, again, painful. And the other thing, and this becomes from a, it's inherently, you can't really trust Google to show you performance of Google. And it sounds like I've got a tinfoil hat on, but <laughs> we have been proved multiple times, Facebook has done it more than anyone, that the performance of the marketing activity that they say is happening in their ad network with their yeah. analytics is not necessarily representative of what actually happens. So I'm glad you brought this up because this is something that always is an issue, right? I'm sure you hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. We want to know how things are really performing. And it is easy for anyone who's working just in Facebook or just in Google ads to want to believe those individual platforms. But what's really the best way to approach this? Because this is a question everyone asks, how do we attribute? How If Google doesn't do it, how can we do it? So what is, in your opinion, like the most, I don't know, real way to do this? Where How can we get the best answers that are relative to each other for all advertising platforms? So there's a few schools of thought here. And I've been talking and doing attribution as probably my specialist subject for nearly a decade now. I wrote the course for CXL, as you know, I wrote the course for Power MBA. And I made sure that when we were talking through what was possible on these platforms, it was never a vendor answer. It was a methodology answer. So without covering what is like a six-hour course uh, in <laughs> the answer to your question, the way that I approach this is we can't tell a system what value activity has. We have to show it the value, mm-hmm. the activity as it happens, and then it 
works out what is the most valuable elements of the interactions between the consumer and the brand and then plays that back over the performance that we're seeing, which is basically how machine learning works. But the in principle of this is you go, here is a conversion journey. We know that that Mm -hmm. person actually bought. We show what the model, what success looks like. Mm -hmm. And then we show it everything, the successful and the non-successful. And then it learns the frequency of the things that happen that lead to success. And this is where machine learning is definitely needed because it's not just that the visit was PPC or the visit was on a mobile or it was the third of four visits. It is the full spectrum of dimensions and metrics about that interaction that it has to learn and train on what what successes and what non-successful visits look like. And when I say visits, I also mean interactions. So whether that be you've sent an email to someone what is the frequency of those emails? When do they get uh, sent? And then if someone comes from an email, it needs to know that as well. It's the same with direct mail. It's the same with call center calls. It's the same with success on POS systems. Mm-hmm. So you have to show it all of that data and then let it train on what is success to have an output that means something. And the output there will be different for every brand. It'll be different for every brand in every country. And so what you want to do is build up a profile and an algorithm effectively for that particular brand in that locale um, that gives it the best representation of the activity you've done previously. And it's always going to be the activity you've done previously. If you massively change things... The whole point of having machine learning is it will train on that new data set and go, what value is this new interaction? And therefore, that actually should change the algorithm to impact from an attribution perspective, how much credit you give to those types of interactions in the future. Got it. But now this sounds to most people probably really complicated, right? And the moment yep. machine learning becomes, becomes part of the whole equation, everyone's like, well, I can't do that. So what does a company that's smaller do? Because for machine learning to work, you do need a, a larger data set. So you do. And budget. You do? Like it, and you, budget. You, as exactly. soon as you say machine learning, someone says AI and you add a couple of zeros <laughs> onto conversations. Exactly. So then what does someone do who can't budget for that or a smaller scale e-com shop? What's their best bet? Do they stick to last click attribution, trust Google Analytics? What can they do that's going to help them understand the best, the better picture? So I think the first thing is, it's not necessarily a question of attribution for a smaller business. Mm-hmm. It's more a question of having a better segmentation approach to performance. So the first thing I would do for any company who, in, let's just take e-commerce as the main one we talk about. We can talk about yeah. sort of B2B or travel or something, but e-com and travel are very similar. Split new customers and existing customers out, firstly. The way that you're paying for and going after new customers versus existing customers is the first view that you should be looking at. Are you spending 10 times more on a new customer? So I've got some interesting stats for for talking about existing customers and new. Say you had your first conversion, your average order value is 100, and I'm going to dollars, euros, pounds, all the other currencies, 100. Your first Mm -hmm. conversion, you made 100 something. You probably spent in the region of about 30 
to acquire that conversion. And this is the first mm-hmm. time someone's bought with you. Okay. Now, the next purchase, so that person comes back and buys from you again, you'll probably make somewhere between 100 and 120, and it will cost you about two or three. Okay. So you will make 10% to 20% more in revenue, and it will cost you a tenth of what it did originally. Yeah. Now, if you think about what you do when you blend your cost per acquisition and you go, okay, we spend 30 or 29 to, to on an average conversion. Well, that to me says that you're acquiring a lot of new customers and you're not very good at bringing the existing ones back through activity that re-engages them in a cheap way. And the bonus with existing customers is you've got their email address, you've quite likely got address as well, Mm-hmm. You've got a bunch of details on them. You can cookie them within, Limits. let's just say you can cookie them. <laughs> um, and it's way easier to re-engage them through a cheaper means because they're brand aware, because they've bought with you previously, mm-hmm. more likely to use brand PPC that's cheaper, more likely to click on an SEO uh, link exactly. that's cheaper, and more likely to come back direct. So if you have the first question for any mid to small business would be split new and existing and understand the makeup of acquisition there because most brands spend way too much reacquiring customers without the understanding of how much they should be spending and they also spend way too much on new customers in the wrong places and if they can focus better on acquiring people at the right time right message the four p's approach still reigns here but have data that goes oh this is a new customer this is an existing customer it will completely change your content strategy you'll go after a different content to tailor for existing versus new it will completely Mm -hmm. change your buying profiles for people from a paid search or paid social perspective and quite often when you start looking at this Facebook doesn't look as appealing as it does when it's fully blended because a lot of those people are existing customers coming back and you're overpaying for that second conversion, whereas you probably could get them back through email because you've got their email address and that's cheap or very cheap compared to any paid social activity. Yeah. No, I love this. I mean, I have to make all my clients listen to this because then I'm not the only one telling them they have to segment their data. The one big question that I still get a lot and I've gotten it from some listeners, so I want to bring it up now, is how do we follow through with attribution or do it well considering the current privacy landscape or does it even affect it? So it massively impacts it from a display marketing or any pixel-based marketing activity. So Mm -hmm. skip back seven years, you could track every engagement you could see online on a third-party website that wasn't Facebook. And there were attribution technologies that could access the impressions on Facebook as well. I was in that beta. It was very interesting to see that performance. But you could follow someone around the internet, link them up from a device map perspective, and say, This person who's come to the website, we saw four visits. We know everything they saw on our website. And we also know that they saw 15 of our ads. These are the campaigns. And we know what website they saw it on. We could totally do that. And the problem here is that display marketing businesses 
didn't actually build attribution models to show the true value of display. They lived in the post-impression world <laughs> because it showed that display contributed more than it actually did. And they made a metric F-ton of money off the back of that industry. That mm-hmm. industry screwed itself over, realistically, through a number of different means, fraud being one of them, uh, incorrect double serving of ads, et cetera, et cetera. And we've now got to the point of the cookieopolis, or however you actually say that word, um, <laughs> where a lot of people think that cookies no longer exist, which is not true. Third-party cookies well, no. <laughs> are kind of pointless now. They, yeah. they still work in Chrome, depending on when you're listening to this, within reason, but they definitely don't work in the way they used to be able to. So from an attribution perspective, any third-party website can't pass data to your brand website, and therefore you can't see how many times someone has seen that advert. So if we're talking in the UK, like the Guardian website, for example, if you were to buy advertising for a bunch of people on that website, we can't mm-hmm. even tell how many times they've seen that ad. We can't even tell unless they click on the ad and who clicks mm-hmm. on display ads. But yeah. who clicks on that, unless they click on it and come to the website where we get the referral information to say, yes, they were on this website and yeah. we see that that person clicked on it. We don't know the value of the display activity. So that's mm. what the third-party cookieopolists, I sh- shouldn't have gone for that word again, um, <laughs> But that's what they're talking about there is the removal of the ability to see that. And that's what's impacted Facebook a lot because the main thing that Facebook was pushing as a value proposition is we serve advertising when someone is on Instagram scrolling their feed, when someone is on Facebook scrolling their feed. We serve advertising and we can tell you the value of seeing an impression included in our performance results. So it's viewing a video or seeing that ad. We can tell you that this sale was influenced massively by this activity on Facebook. We can see the sale. We see the activity on Facebook. Give us more money for advertising. (laughs) And they were massively impacted by the fact that they can't do that anymore to the level they used to be able to do it. There are a number of projects in Facebook or Meta's digital Mm -hmm. analytics and data science teams where they're using groups that are anonymized to show performance. But what it boils down to is we can't get the one-to-one matching that we used to be able to do. But the value and the only way that someone can actually convert with you Mm -hmm. 99.9% of the time is going to be by coming to your website. So irrespective of if they've seen 10 ads or one ad, They still have to click to come to your website. And if they click on that ad, then we can understand and attribute it value. And the only thing that's lost here is the fact of we can't tell the difference between the person who saw 15 ads and the person who saw one, and then they clicked on the ad. Now, that, if you buy things on a CPM model, then that's where you've lost some of the understanding. But we're going to be consistent here, and everything is on a click-based model. So we want to be able to go, this is the impact of these things happening. Mm. And so, yes, there is a drop in the volume of data. But even when that was there, there were not many, even the attribution vendors, the majority didn't take into consideration impressions in the context of a user journey. 
They sometimes just overlaid the impact of an impression on top of the multi-channel attribution they were doing. And I only know of two, and I used to run one of them, um, (laughs) that did this. But the industry needed to catch up. And so where we are now, I think, is a much cleaner place for us to be. And people should be moving towards a CPC model or a CPA model for their activity and better understanding the value of display and above-the-line activity that they're doing. And this is where we can move more into the MMM or econometrics conversation. But potentially that's for another day, uh, (laughs) for another person. But that's where you can start to better understand the correlation between performance of channels that you buy in a CPM space. That's less of where my time and effort is focused because there are so many other questions when someone actually comes into your ecosystem that people should care more about because you've effectively, at that point, you've definitely paid for them to come to you. And that's the point where I see a lot of wastage And rather than historically, a lot of the wastage was buying millions, if not billions of impressions off site that day, still there and people still do it. But the smarter marketers, I think, are moving more towards the trackable CPC and CPA logic within their bigger media buys. Thank you for that. We're going to close it there before we open a whole nother can of worms. (laughs) And I'll talk to you soon. 